What's going on, guys? You guys are tuning into the Pro GK Podcast. My name is Omar Zini. I'm going to be your host for this episode and the episodes to come. Uh, if you're new to the channel and new to the podcast, I'm the founder of Pro GK Academy, and I started this channel back in 2016. Growing up, I was just like so many of you guys. I was a goalkeeper and someone that was always looking for more and more content to learn from, whether it was on YouTube, whether it was uh, through just matches on TV, whatever it is, I was always looking for that next piece of content that can take my game to the next level. Uh, after I stopped playing though, I realized that there just wasn't enough of it being produced. So I just decided to start the channel uh, with the hope of kind of providing that sort of outlet for so many of you that are just like me and are eager to learn and trying to get better as a goalkeeper uh, and to kind of become more of a student of the game. So uh, as many of you guys may or may not know, I was on the podcast called Inside the 18, uh, where we would have interviews with top goalkeepers, goalkeeper coaches, and review the week in goalkeeping. Although I will not be joining them as often as I used to, I would highly recommend that you guys still listen to that podcast because uh, Mike and Pat, they provide a lot of goalkeeping knowledge and uh, have a lot to offer to you guys and the goalkeeping community. So please make sure you guys check those guys out and uh, I will have a segment here and there with them. So catch me on there as well. Uh, with this podcast, though, I'll be publishing evergreen content on a weekly basis for you guys. What that essentially means is that I'm going to be covering topics that whether you guys listen to them today, tomorrow, in a year, they're always going to be relevant. Uh, a lot of Q&A and a lot of issues that are recurring issues for us as goalkeepers, whether that's confidence issues, technical, tactical issues, all of that stuff. And I will be doing that uh, at least twice a week for the next 10 weeks. Um, with all that being said, let's get going with episode one. In episode one, I'll be answering a question from Instagram follower Logan Leatherman. Logan asked me, hey Omar, I heard you mention that you were a part of the LA Galaxy Academy growing up. What did it take for you to get there and what kind of work should I be putting in uh, now to make it into a development academy? And so to answer Logan's question, uh, I want to dive a bit deeper into my youth career and time prior to the LA Galaxy Academy. I feel that that would be a good starting point where I could go into depth on some of the skills and habits I learned at a young age that would prove to be the difference for me. Later in the episode, I'll be breaking down some of the habits that I wish I had had the discipline to master at that young of an age. There are a few core things that when I reflect on my career, I wish I had developed at a younger age. Those core principles or lack thereof would have massively impacted my game as I progressed into the next stages of my career. And lastly, I'll give my final thoughts on what I believe to be the most important habits for young goalkeepers at different ages. All right, guys. So without further ado, let's get into episode one. Yeah. Grandmaster Soul, shouts. Let's get it. You did with the best. All right, guys. So to dive in a little bit into my youth career, I kind of want to give you guys some backstory on how I got into the game and all the little things that I learned along the way that would prove to really be the difference once I turned 15 and was able to play in front of an LA Galaxy scout. So I started playing around six or seven years old, uh, AYSO, just like everybody else. Very straightforward. I was a forward at the beginning. Didn't really like to run that much, but just because the field was really, really compact and really small, I was able to get away with it. I still remember early on where I didn't really have much awareness either. Like the coach would say, Omar, you're playing left back, right back, and I never knew what a position was or what those positions meant. So I would always just slowly gravitate towards uh, the forward of the field or the front of the field, and I was much bigger than everybody else, so I was able to shoot the ball a lot harder. So the coach was like, okay, we'll make an exception. You can continue uh, playing up top. No biggie for us. But as soon as the field started getting a little bit too big and I started having to run a little too much, 
I was thrown in goal and right away, I just kind of fell in love with just the adrenaline of being back there. And to be honest with you guys, I still got the same amount of snacks at halftime. I still got the same amount of, amount of orange slices, amount of water, but I had to do half the work. So I was kind of like, all right, like I enjoy this position. And at the same time too, I'm cool with, you know, reaping all the benefits that, uh, the field players are going to get when them, you know, they're playing the entire game running up and down the field. So I'm cool with that. So that happens. And little by little, I start, you know, becoming more interested in understanding what are certain movements that make professional goalkeepers successful. So I'm watching these games on TV and I think I hit probably around 10 years old and I started noticing how goalkeepers move their wall and how they played a high line and, you know, how they distributed the ball out of the back and just started noticing all those little things and really started to pick up on them. And so my dad and my mom realized, okay, hey, he obviously has an interest in playing the position. So let's put him in an official team. So we had some family friends. And um, again, I was much taller. Uh, disclaimer, when I was younger, I grew to like five, seven, five, eight, a lot faster than a lot of my friends and teammates. So anytime I would play in a game, whether it was U10 or whatever, people would always say that guy's too old. Let's check his birth certificate. That used to be the running joke, but I was much taller. So my parents said, Hey, you know, there's a U12 team, you're 10 years old, but Hey, you're obviously physically at that level. So let's put you in there. So I joined this team. It was probably one of the worst teams I've ever played on just terrible organization. And um, as we all know, different tiers in the youth system, I was in the bronze level. So it was U12, but like the worst of the worst. So I joined this team and pretty much every single game, we were losing six to seven zero. And I remember I was getting chipped from like half field and I was conceding some goals that were pretty, just, it was so bad that if my parents had come up to me and said, yo, we're going to get in the car early, just meet us a few blocks down the street then I probably would have said in hindsight, yep, that makes sense because I'm, I'm embarrassing you guys because there was a lot of rumbling on the sideline, a lot of people you know, saying this goalkeeper needs to be uh, benched and all this stuff. So I kept thinking, okay, I love the adrenaline when I first started playing for this a ASO team where the teams weren't very good. I got to take a lot of goal kicks, kick the ball off the field as much as I, ca uh, I could. But now I'm losing six to seven to zero. I don't want to come to these games anymore. I don't really enjoy being on this team anymore. We had a family friend of ours named Sharif Zane, and he contacted my parents and said, hey, we have his team, it's the gold level, but it's under 11. Um, so when your son is obviously 10 now, when he turns 11, this team's perfect for him. They need a goalkeeper and it's very high level. We think your son is ready for it. And so, hey, my parents said, look, you know, there's an opportunity for you to go to a much better team. And you know, you're not gonna be playing with older kids anymore. You're gonna be playing your level. So I think that is, you know, the best way to go. So I said, okay, let's, uh, let's make this happen. I mean, I don't really have anything to, anything negative to say about it, but, um, again, I'm just not really enjoying playing anymore. I'm just nervous all the time and it's not something that uh, I really look forward to anymore. So I'm sure a lot of kids, a lot of young goalkeepers have had that feeling as you get older, you start to understand, wow, okay, there's a lot more on the line and there's a lot more people that, you know, care about wins and losses than actual development. So there comes a little bit of nerves, but at the same time too, it's that high risk, high reward. So, you know, my parents explained that to me at a young age. So I said, okay, I'll do it. I remember I was uh, about to turn 11 and I joined this team, uh, FC Barcelona, which is in Pasadena, California. Sharif Zane, very intense guy, if anybody knows who he is, just very intense, very professional, and will definitely give you an earful if you, one, aren't in shape, uh, you don't know how to play his system, which is the goalkeeper is the 11th field player, which was, to me, one of the big reasons why I was successful, but I'll get to that later. 
And so we got that instilled in us super, super early by our coach Sharif. And on my first day, I'll never forget it. I showed up, didn't even have the right attire, completely looked like a sore thumb out there. And we're playing as the U11 team against the U12 team. And the U12 team is in a little scrimmage. Their team is essentially, you know, they have probably 10 players from that team that, that went professional. So right away, my eyes had to be trained to see and understand that this style of play was going to be a lot faster than what I was accustomed to. And without really much formal training, I was kind of thrown into this environment where mediocre just wasn't acceptable. So that kind of fast-tracked me a little bit and made me understand that it was fight or flight. Like I, I could either show up every single week completely nervous or I can figure out a way to develop and get better. So that's kind of when I started realizing there was a few things that I could start using in my favor. The first was watching game film. And I still remember, again, vividly, one day we're playing against a uh, team in the in the final of a tournament. And uh, it was probably at like 2 p.m. on a Sunday. But Arsenal was playing that morning and they were playing against Man United or they were playing a big, big game. And we didn't have TiVo back then. We, we couldn't record anything, so we had to watch things live. So I woke up about 6 in the morning, set my alarm, woke up, watched the game, and my dad comes out and he's just like, yo, so what, what's going on? Don't you have a game at 2 o'clock? Go back to sleep. It's like, nah, you know, I'm, I'm an Arsenal fan and I really enjoy the game. And I, he, you know, I gave him a lot of pushback and he realized, okay, there's no point in arguing because you're not going to go back to sleep. So in his mind, he said, look, if you're just watching this to watch it, then you're going to be wasting your time. It's like, why are you watching it? It's like, well, you know, I, I love the goalkeeper. I love uh, Jens Lehmann. I love the way they play. I love Thierry Henry, Robert Perez. This is when they were the uh, untouchables. And so he said, okay, well, in that case, you're wasting your time. Do yourself a favor and watch the goalkeeper and see how he commands his back line. See how he talks to his defenders. See what he does so that you can learn from that and then take it into your game. So, you know, I said, okay, if that's what's going to get you off my back, I will listen. Kept watching and watching, and he was right. I just kept understand, trying to understand why Jens Lehmann was just such a force back there and how he commanded his defenders and how he earned their respect from some of the big saves he made and kept thinking to myself, wow, okay. Let me see how high of a line he plays. Let me see how he plays out of the back. Let me see how he organizes his walls. Let me see how, you know, what he does when his team is up 1-0 in the 90th minute. What they're doing when they're down 1-0 in the 90th minute. Keep watching and try to learn, become cerebral and understand what they're doing. So I kept watching that and I kept trying to understand all the little nuances that came with the position. Then came the game days. And I started trying to implement those things. And it was back in 2004 we watched, or my parents actually purchased the uh, DVD set of the 2004 Euros. And it was in the time where Greece ended up playing Portugal in the final. And it was every single game with every single highlight. And we had the Honda Odyssey. We used to put that DVD in and I would watch it every single time before a game. And there was a time, I think, they hit a ball over the top and Iker Casillas comes out, out of his box, probably 25 yards out. He comes out and headers the ball out for a throw, out, uh, throw, out, for a throw in. And in my game that day, they hit a long ball over the top. I cheated off my line just like Casillas did, and I won the header, cleared it out of bounds. And I remember like some, some of the parents were like, wow, like how does he know how to do that? Or like, that's so unorthodox. How does he know how to do that? And right away, it triggered in my head. I was like, oh my God, 
that's the key. You have to watch these professionals and whether they're unorthodox, they're orthodox, whatever it is, you can take little pieces of what they do and try and implement it into your game. So as I was telling you guys, that's one of the major, major key points that I would, I would highlight to young kids out there. If you can watch your own games or watch game footage or training footage, uh, professional goalkeepers, you can see and try to analyze what they do and why they do it. When you watch it though, like my dad said, remember it's all about the context. You have to understand why they're doing it in that moment and what was in front of them, what did they see. Watch it on replay, keep watching different angles and see what they saw so that once you're in that game, you have that mental recall and you have the ability to call on something that's not necessarily you, but it's something else that you saw and in that moment you can kind of fall back on something. So that's one aspect of the game that I definitely felt at a young age I really, really capitalized on and something that essentially developed my game. And, and I became somebody who, is, as you guys know now through Pro GK, loves to analyze film. That really started at that adolescence phase when I was a young kid, uh, kind of still molding my approach to the game, molding my habits as I watched it. So that's one aspect that I would say got me to the LA Galaxy Academy. The second thing I would tell you guys is that after watching all of that film, and some of the film of myself and goal, I started understanding that there was different parts of my game that I could manipulate. And for me, because I was so slow, because I was very, very tall and just kind of lanky, I wasn't able to come off my line very fast. And when I played for that team that was the under 10 team, or excuse me, the under 12 team at 10 years old, that was one of the main reasons how I got scored on was because I kept getting chipped, I started staying so far back on my line that balls over the top now, I was so late to. And I became you know, someone who was second guessing and someone that was a second too late or I would come out and completely miss the ball. And my decision making was so off that it was embarrassing. And it was just one of those things that, you know, uh, if you're another team or you're head coach of another team, you say scouting report, the keeper's so slow off his line. Let's, you know, bait him out and let's see what he can do. Make him make a decision. So I started watching Enz Lehman, Iker Casillas, Buffon and started understanding or trying to understand what made them successful and how were they so quick off of their line? So for me, obviously, Buffon and Casillas, uh, I think Casillas now is retired because of uh, his heart issue. But those two for me, in terms of longevity, they've been able to continue their primes and really try to squeeze out every last thing of their talent out there because they know how to read the game so well. So I'm watching these guys week in and week out trying to read their body shape and how they set themselves up as the ball was being played. So I remember one time I was watching Barcelona Real Madrid. They hit a ball over the top and Casillas comes out, thwarts the attack, just comes out, left foots it up the field. And it was almost one of those situations that had he been like two or three steps late, I think it was Ronaldinho or Adeco, one of those guys who was coming in behind, they would have beaten him to the ball. So I said, wow, okay, That's, that triggered something in my head. Well, okay, how can I manipulate my positioning to be kind of like Casillas, but play within my own speed and my own ability. Once I can answer that question, that is going to be the complete unlock. And I, I'm not going to tell you guys that I use this terminology from with myself back in the day, but I definitely had some way of comprehending it that was easy for me to understand. So next game I go or next training I go out and I start cheating off my line a little bit, expanding my range yard by yard by yard. I can, again, I'm not going to tell you that I woke up the next day and I was miles ahead of everybody or miles ahead of my old self and was able to read the game and became a sweeper keeper that other people applauded. No, it's not true. It was manifested through days and days and weeks and weeks and years and years of just 
expanding my range a little bit more, understanding was I fast on that day or what was the forward uh, looking to do once he got in behind. Is it best if I cheat off my line to at least show a high line, but if I can't get it, do I drop off? So you start trying to kind of force yourself to think of different ways or you have different uh, questions that you're trying to answer. And with that expanding of the range, you're answering those questions and you're you know checking those boxes that you otherwise wouldn't be checking off if you didn't try something new. And to me, that was just like, again, the biggest unlock, mental unlock for me. So there were times where I started understanding that when my team stepped up and we were playing the offside trap a lot, if I minimized the space in between them and me, I could capitalize on any ball over the top. So when I started to understand that concept, I cheated off my line. And when I saw the forward, or excuse me, when I saw the midfielders or the center backs put their heads down, I had an idea, okay, they're probably going to kick this ball. So I was in a staggered position, which means one leg forward, one leg back. I would have my shoulders essentially kind of like pivoted just a little bit. So I'm almost in a running position. And I would kind of like seesaw back and forth between my front foot and my back foot. And I would do this because, again, I don't want to get chips. So if I needed to, I could seesaw back to my back foot and recover back to the line or go to the front foot and be on the front foot to chase down anything in behind. So I was going back and forth. And again, I would just kind of start to go back and forth, back and forth, trying to read the defender or the center midfielder. And finally, when I started seeing from my peripheral vision, there was a forward making that run. That's when I knew, okay, this might be an opportunity for me to cut it out before it even happens. So again, I started off from like 10 yards out, which is probably right around the PK area. Then I went little by little by little forward and forward. And as I started expanding my range, I started realizing that I could close down the space a lot quicker and a lot faster. So again, that is something that I learned from watching game film and understanding how to manipulate my positioning and my game so that my weaknesses were no longer weaknesses, but rather my strengths. And that happened over a long period of time. And it mainly happened because I was willing to fail and my coaching staff was willing to let me fail. They kept saying, look, Omar, it's okay. If you get scored on, we understand, but you need to get better at this. So whether it's balls at your feet or whether it's balls in behind or crosses, you need to understand that to make progress, you have to make mistakes. And I was very, very fortunate that my coaching staff like had that wherewithal or had that understanding that you need to give kids freedom and the ability to make mistakes. Of course, there's going to be repercussions, but let them be themselves, let them play with their instincts so they can grow their instinct and get that instinct that much sharper so that when they're thrown into that situation, whether it's now or in the future, at least they have some experience with it versus being completely green. So those two things were massive in my development. And then one last point that I will that I will highlight here is that I was almost addicted to training. I just love the position. I love playing so, so much that it was almost addicting. At that point, I was probably around 13 or 14 years old playing with this team now. And we were we had won everything when I was under 13, probably uh, were national champions, regional champions. And we were, the, we were one of the best teams in the country. And at that very same time, my uncle from Mexico who played in the Mexican national team system when he was younger and played for Tecos and uh, Liga MX, Querétaro, a uh, few teams in Liga MX, he came back because he was running a business here and he decided that he wanted to be with his family. So he retires at around the same time that I'm kind of entering that crucial period of development around 12 and 13 years old. So he comes back, he starts training me once every other week or once a week. 
And that obviously that advice and his coaching style was extremely vital in how I approached the game and how he set the sessions up and the intensity within the sessions, his voice in the sessions and how it essentially made me want to be out there more and more and more so I can get better. So again, right around the same time, Sharif Zane, who is the head of the club, he had these things called shooting clinic. Shooting clinic was free to the goalkeepers, but the field players had to come out and pay, I think, $20. So for us, it was a steal. And my sister and my brother were a part of the club as well. So they came out for the shooting clinic. So the way he would do it is he would have, from different angles, he'd have a guy shoot, they'd hand him the ball, he'd drop it. It would be full volley, half volley, and one touch finish from every single angle. And then we did 1v1s, then chips over the top and through ball. So there was a lot of things being covered. And I used to do this. They used to have an older session on Tuesdays and then on Wednesdays, they'd have the younger kids. And on Mondays and Wednesdays were my sessions and then Tuesdays and Thursdays were my sister's training. So I would go to all the shooting clinics, my sister's trainings and my own trainings. So again, like I said, I was addicted to the feeling of improvement and getting better and coupling that with like manipulating my game, not so much even coming off my line anymore, was manipulating my positioning. Okay, so I may not be the fastest guy to get down, so how can I maybe set a little bit lower or set more neutral so that I can get those low balls and I can also get the high balls. But I got shot after shot after shot and I was conceding goals sometimes and he used to call me a donut, a taco, a hamburger, you know, all those little derogatory terms that you say to somebody who may be overweight, but it made me better because I wanted to kind of prove him wrong and say, look, like I'm going to show you that I can make improvements every single week. And that's what I did every single week. I kept going out there and getting better and better and better. And he would pull me aside every once in a while. He's like, Omar, you know, I know I say some things here and there, but like, I'm really like your progressions are really good. Keep working. So I kept coming out, kept coming out. And I learned so much about shot stopping and how you're supposed to set that by the time I hit 14 and 15 years old, I was probably one of the best shot stoppers because I had, I probably took about 250 to 300 shots every single week. And with that repetition, you learn so much. And again, it's the failure. I failed so, so many times in those sessions over and over and over. You kind of have that fight or flight moment, understanding that you have to fight to understand how to get better and what to do to get better. So I did that. And now it's about, I'm 15 years old. My team we hit kind of a wall, like we're doing okay. We're still a pretty good team, but we're not winning the same trophies that we used to. We're not winning as often as we used to. But then this opportunity comes up where the development academy for the LA Galaxy is becoming a thing. So there's one game we end up playing against the women's national team. It was 2007. We're playing against them. They're getting ready for the World Cup. So they're doing a tune-up game. And if you guys remember from the 2019 World Cup, this, this World Cup, the women's national team lost to an FC Dallas U15 boys team. I think it was 4-1-5-1. And so I never really wanted to share the story of how we beat the women's national team or the scoreline. But when we played them in 2007, we were, all, we were a group of 15-year-olds, our team, Barcelona, and we beat them 5-1. It really wasn't much of a game. I probably did one or two things. There was a time where the ball got passed back to me and then we were up 5-1 and I was juggling the ball and then I picked it up. So like the game wasn't uh, amazing, but I definitely needed to make some saves and come out for crosses and play with my feet a certain way. So I showed well, and then we went to the PK shootout and I saved two PKs. I think we won that three to two or four to two. After the game, uh, Brianna Scurry, who was one of my heroes, uh, she came up to me and she was like, "You're, you know, that was an amazing game. Like, congrats to you. Hopefully, you have a good career." And then uh, Hope Solo came up to me and she was like, "Man, you're a stud." 
And I was just like, holy crap, like these are two of like the best women goalkeepers I've ever like I've ever seen. And they're just they're they're huge, huge names and big names in their in their profession. So I was in awe. And not too long after, Matt Minnell, who was the goalkeeper coach at LMU and he was gonna be the goalkeeper coach for the LA Galaxy, walks up to me and he says, Hey Omar, just want to introduce myself. You know, I'm I'm gonna be the goalkeeper coach for the LA Galaxy Academy, and we'd love to have you come out and play for the team. And I said, okay, you know, I'm kind of committed to this team and I would really, you know, don't want to upset anybody because they've done so much for me. But thank you. I appreciate it. We'll, we'll be in contact. And then he reaches out again and they say, hey, we need you to come out to one of the sessions. Are you interested? I said, okay. Um, and he said, yeah, like uh, we've contacted a bunch of your teammates as well and we want them to come out. So fast forward probably three, four months and seven or eight of our academy, or excuse me, seven or eight of our Barcelona players from my team were all signed by the Galaxy Academy. So essentially that team, not disbanded, but a lot of the better players ended up going to the Galaxy Academy. And here we were at 15 playing with an MLS Academy. So that was like the pinnacle of kind of all that hard work. And in the moment, I wouldn't necessarily say that I remember all that stuff, or I could even at that age pinpoint and attribute all that work to that moment or culminating in that moment. But now that I look back, I realize, oh my God, everything I just said to you guys, which is, you know, watching the game film, manipulating my positioning, my game, and overtraining and being someone that looks forward to training and getting better, that was all coming to uh, the forefront as I showed well in front of the Galaxy Academy. And so, you know, when I joined the Academy, there was a lot of little things that the coaches would say. There's some stuff, obviously, that I'm going to get into in a little bit about the bad stuff that I wish I had done better. But the good stuff, they were saying, Omar, you know how to position yourself very well. You're very good with your feet. You come off your line very well. You know how to read the game. And so there was all these little things that they were were pinpointing. And then as I got older, I'm like, okay, now I understand exactly where those came from. From watching the game film, manipulating my positioning, understanding where I am on the field, where the immediate threats are and how to, you know, fan those flames out before they even, you know, transpire or before anything really uh, comes of it. And so those are the things that I really want to pinpoint for you guys. And if you're not doing them at a young age, not that, not to say that they won't catch up to you, but athleticism isn't always going to be with you. As we saw with Buffon, Casillas, uh, Nelson Dita, like all the big time goalkeepers, as they get older, their body starts to diminish, but their mind also has to be double as strong, or they have to be that much more concentrated and have that foundation of IQ. And one goalkeeper that I admire so much for doing that was one Peter Schmeichel and David Seaman. Those two goalkeepers were two of the best. They were huge, six foot four, big, big guys, but they knew where to be and how to position themselves to make the easy save, but at the same time to allow their hands and feet, the money makers to make the saves because they were in great positions. So I attribute a lot of my success to those two guys and watching them play as I grew up. So by saying all the good stuff, guys, you know, I don't want to even come off as like, you know, trying to tell you guys that I was perfect or that there were no holes in my game because that's far from the truth. And in the next segment here, I'm going to tell you guys the bad that I wish I would have known at a young age and the things that I really wish had been instilled in me at that young of an age so that as I got older and stepped into different stages of my career, I could have been proactive rather than reactive. And proactive meaning already ahead of the game, ahead of the curve, understanding what needed to be done versus reactive and the coach is saying, hey, you need to work on this. This is already behind. You need to do this, this, and this better. And again, as you get older, it becomes 
more difficult to develop a foundation because there isn't as much free time and you don't have much time to work and get better and instill a foundation. So starting now at a young age, from ages maybe 11 to 13 or 14, those are the crucial, crucial years. So in this next segment, I'm gonna cover all the bad and things I wish I would have done better. All right, guys, so as I said in segment one, there's a lot of good things that came from me understanding the game and making the game easier on myself. But when I started to, let's say, get to the next level when the game was much faster and my body needed to be in tip-top shape week in and week out or every few games in college, my body began to fail me. And it was mainly because of my nutrition. When I was a young kid, at around 12, 13 years old, going to those shooting clinics, I would finish up my training and my mom would take me to Baja Fresh. And that may not seem like a big deal because there's probably some you know good options there, but I used to get a burrito, a big burrito with chips. And that was probably every single day. Like if they had a club card at Baja Fresh, I probably would have been one of the gold premier uh, rewards members because I went there so often and I got the exact same thing every single time that it became kind of like my downfall in a way. You know, nowadays there's a huge nutrition craze and health craze out there, vegan, plant-based, going green, all that. But for me, I I was just very lazy uh, on and off the field that I didn't really apply myself or try to learn anything new about how to recover my body or how to set nutritional goals at a young age that would prove to pay uh, dividends in the future. And again, I may have sweated a lot in training and worked hard, but that food either set me back or set me exact exactly to where I was prior to that training. And I never had protein shakes. I never did anything to improve my health or uh, my outlook on food. And it, it proved to really work against me. Even in college, before every single game, I used to be exhausted. And I don't know what it was. And I, I realized as I finished up my career that it was the food that I was eating. I was eating a lot of carbs before the game, a lot of carbs the night before. And that may be good for fuel players who are burning and exerting a lot of energy, burning a lot of calories and fat. But for a goalkeeper, that's not really the way to go. But I just kept eating the same foods that they were eating. And it was detrimental. So before every game, we'd have a team meeting. Game would be at 3.30 or 4. Have a team meeting around t- uh, 12. I would probably have a full tuna sandwich from Subway, a full tuna sandwich on wheat bread, which I thought was healthy, but it's like, it's insanely, insanely heavy. And it put me to sleep. So I would go back to the house. All my teammates would be playing their music or doing whatever they got to do in their rooms to get themselves ready to go. And for me, I would be like, hey guys, I need about 30 minutes. Please keep it down. I'm going to be passed out in my room. I need to, I need to actually get my energy back. So I would go in there, put my headphones in, and I'd sleep for about 35 to 45 minutes, wake up, feel refreshed. Then we had a pool in the backyard. I'd jump in there. It would be freezing in the wintertime or in the fall time. Jump in there. It would wake me up, and then I would have this like vibrancy again, and I'd be completely awake. Then I'd go to the games, and I'd play well. But this was like a recipe that was meant to fail because on the road, you can't do that. Uh, when you're at home, sometimes there's going to be situations where like family's visiting or uh, there's certain responsibilities you have before the game that you can't squeeze all that stuff in. So I became very dependent on that system or that habit prior to a game. And uh, when I didn't do it, you could tell I wasn't, I did not play well. And that's one thing, guys, that I would tell you at a young age to really build a foundation with is your nutrition. Find out what foods 
are good for you, what foods provide energy, what uh, foods can give you and store you energy that you'll need in a game on a hot day or on a night game where you've already kind of, you know, walked around and done yourself throughout the day. Find something, a formula that's going to help you out. And don't get Baja Fresh, don't get chips and uh, guac, don't go ahead and get a burrito after every session because you're either going to be stagnant or you're going to be regressing after every single session. So that's one big thing that I really regret. And I think if you guys see me now or if you saw me back when I was younger, I was thin, but I still had that baby fat around the uh, stomach area. And that leads me to my next point, which is weightlifting and core. And again, I had my uncle who was former professional player in Mexico. And the first thing he told my parents was he's got good instinct. He knows how to, you know, play the game. He's a natural, but he has no core strength. He's very, very slow, very lethargic, doesn't really move well. And he needs to get better at that. So every single time I saw my uncle, Hey, how the core exercises, you know, we'd be at a family dinner and I'd be eating a lot of food. He'd be like, that's not good for your core. Omar, I need you to be better with your core. Kept drilling it in and in and in. And again, like I said, I wasn't very disciplined. I didn't have much awareness and I was just very stubborn. So I never did any core exercises and I was kind of okay with being mediocre or okay with leaning so heavily on my ability to read the game well. But that all began to catch up to me once I finished up the academy or in, in, or in and around that academy level where some of the goals that they were scoring, my athleticism wasn't there as you know how I was when I was younger. And it, uh, it proved to be pretty costly because I lost my starting position uh, going into my last year with the Galaxy. And then the next year, we, I ended up splitting time where I'd play one game and then the other goalkeeper would play uh, the other game and uh, so on and so forth. But there were a lot of moments where I had the chance to seize myself or create the opportunity for myself to be the number one in, at the Galaxy Academy. And I did when I was younger, but as I got older, those habits began to really catch up to me. And I wasn't somebody who understood how to do core exercises or go to the gym and, and weightlift. And even in college, I got to college and I never did any core exercises, never did any weightlifting because I was just happy with showing up and just playing because I understood the game. And IQ, again, guys, can only take you so far. You have to have the physical qualities and you have to be able to have injury prevention from that weightlifting. I still remember there was one time where I lifted before a game and it was not the day before a game, or not the day of a game, the day before a game. And I did uh, arms, biceps, chest, all that stuff. And I really lifted hard. I felt good. And then the next day, my arms were like like jello. I couldn't even move them. They were so slow to, to react. And we lost three to two against Sac State. And I remember swearing off weightlifting forever. I said, you know what? This is never going to happen again. I can't do this to myself. But it was because I was so reactive and not proactive about the situation that I found myself in a situation that was detrimental to me, detrimental to my performance and just detrimental to like my psyche and, and you know, way of thinking about weightlifting. So again, guys, develop your core strength, eat right. Those two can go hand in hand because when you eat right, you feel good. And when you feel good, you play good. And when you have, um, kind of an investment into your body and an investment into your core strength and, and weightlifting, you're going to put yourself in a position to be way more cognizant and way more conscious of what you eat and how you eat before games. So those two things uh, for sure. And the last thing guys I'm going to say is the psychology of the game. I can't tell you how important this is. The psychology of the game, meaning how you approach the game, what you think in those moments where things aren't going your way, when you've made a mistake in training, when you've conceded a goal in college and they're breathing down your neck two minutes later and you have to be able to have that mental wherewithal and understanding that you cannot allow this first goal to lead into a second goal. 
once you're able to kind of manage your emotions and be in control of who you are out there, man, the sky is the limit. Anybody can tell you they're way more afraid of somebody who's confident than somebody that's passive. If you're in any profession as a boss or a CEO, whatever it is, most people are going to be more reactive to you raising your voice and being confident in what you're saying than being passive and not saying what you need to do uh, because the jobs won't get done. And as goalkeepers, we are technically the bosses and CEOs of our team. If you really think about it, we're the quarterbacks. We see everything. We can call anything out to our center backs, our defenders, and let them know, hey, this is what's going to happen in a few seconds. I need you to you know, trust me, and you need to understand what I'm telling you is uh, important for this going out to happen. So those little things, and again, the psyche of the game can be confidence with your teammates, or it can be the negative thoughts that you may have in certain moments on crosses, as Dan Abrahams would say, automatic negative thoughts, ants, where the ball stops dead on a goal, on a free kick, corner kick, whatever it is. And right away, you start thinking about all the negative things that could possibly go wrong. And being, you know, open and vulnerable to speaking with a sports psychologist is huge. When I was about 20 or 19 years old, I went to our sports psychiatrist or sports psychologist at at, uh, Davis. And I sat down with her for about three, four days. And we just like ironed out a lot of stuff that was going through my head, especially the pressures of being the starter at Davis. And she started giving me all these little things that I could do and tips and tricks. And I started getting out there with just so much more calmness and ease in my game and just not really worried about the scoreline anymore, worrying more about my performance and how, how I can control what I can control. So that was huge and crucial when you have a formula and a way to kind of approach every game with the same mentality without whether you're winning games or you're losing games without wavering, everything is consistent and you don't ever have to worry about, okay, what happens if I you know, concede a goal here? It's more of like, okay, even if I do concede a goal, I'm going to be ready to go. So it's just that vulnerability and leaving yourself open for criticism and to find ways that you can um, be hard on yourself, but at the same time, be constructive. So again, guys, it's the nutrition aspect, the weightlifting, and the psychology of the game. Those are the three things that I wish, I wish I would have done a lot better on because at the next level, anybody you're teaming up against or you're playing against or competing for that number one spot, a lot of them have gone through all of those things. And you'll start to notice the ones who kind of weave their path in towards that number one position, they can check a lot of those boxes off. It's being able to have longevity and that also comes from a technical awareness and at the same time too, injury prevention with your core strengthening, your weightlifting, uh, those things that I covered in this piece. Cause I got a, I got a rolling on my wrist, honey on my wrist, I got a rolling on my wrist, got a honey on my wrist. All right guys, thank you guys for tuning in to the first ever Pro GK podcast. Uh, episode one, uh, answering Logan Leatherman's question about little things that I learned on my way to getting to the development academy with LA Galaxy. Uh, my goal is to be doing two episodes a week, Mondays and Thursdays, where Q&A would happen on a Thursday and a Monday would be the EPL review and any big points or big mistakes or big saves in games over the weekend, I'd cover those in the podcast. Again, I appreciate everybody who's been tuning in to all the Pro GK content. I've been kind of on a hiatus, just kind of planning out these different episodes and putting things together where I can be consistent with my postings and be consistent with the content on the podcast for you guys. Um, this podcast will be available on every platform, Spotify, Apple Music or Apple Podcast, Google Play, everywhere. So you guys can find it under Pro GK Podcast. And uh, I'd appreciate it if you guys tell your friends, any other goalkeepers you guys may know that would be interested in this kind of content. 
um, I would really appreciate it. Again, guys, my name is Omar Zini. I will see you guys uh, for episode two. Have a good one. Yeah. Grandmaster Soft, shouts.